Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Property World. Um, I'm Will Mallard and today I'm delighted to be joined by the author of the Sunday Supplement, Adam Lawrence, super forecaster in the making. Great to have you on the show, Adam. Thanks for having me again, Will. So, Adam, uh, just for the benefit uh, of the listeners, a, a quick, um, quick introduction. Adam's a prolific property entrepreneur. Uh, he's involved uh, with the setup uh, and operation of Partners in Property, which is a property community um, throughout the UK. Um, I'm a member of the London branch. One of my favourite things to do each month is to go along and attend the, uh, the meetup in, in uh, London near Tower Bridge, uh, where there's typically 30 to 60 property uh, investors who, who come along and, and meet during the day and, and network. And um, it's quite a uh, fun, safe, informative learning environment. Uh, I, I found it fantastic myself. So great to have you on the show, Adam. We're going to be talking about the Sunday set Supplement, which is the article that you've written uh, on the 30th of October. Um, and for people not familiar with the supplement, you can, uh, I suppose, find it in the, uh, the blog section of partners-property.com. So, uh, Adam, uh, interesting topic this week. Thanks very much, Will. Yeah, well, there's been, it's a bit like the, the comedy equivalent of when Donald Trump became president in the US, I think. The stuff that's been going on at the moment provides so much material. It's really quite difficult to to try and narrow down one thing to talk about, to be honest with you, or, or a few things to talk about. And, and to be honest, when uh, Boris left power, I, I remember thinking it was a, a bad time for the newspapers that they'd, they'd have to work to come up with, um, I suppose, sales copy uh, for, their, for their, uh, their, their actual physical papers. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think at the time as well, when you go into the summer, what they traditionally call the silly season in the media, uh, I thought they might be uh, scratching around a bit. But boy, oh boy, September and onwards sure made up for it, didn't it? Absolutely. So I always like to kick off with a quote, Will, as you know. Um, and this week I went for shock is when language and emotion get overwritten by trauma's numbing code uh, from someone called Stuart Stafford, who's an actor. So no apologies this week for it being a long one, as we were just talking about. Second pot of coffee might need to be on the go in preparation. Or if you're listening to this when you're out for a, a jog or a, or a walk, 
Um, you might need to go around the block twice. Um, we've got to do a quick roundup of another really incredible political and economic week and then get into the meat of what I want to discuss today and why. So the great Sunak has risen to the top of the governing party, or so we hope. The, the danger is, of course, that at the moment, Jeremy Hunt and Dominic Raab look like fantastic, stabilising, supremely competent politicians. Yes, I really did just say that. Benchmarking, which is exactly what I'm doing there, can be dangerous. The comparison to the outgoing administration is irresistible, but the outgoing administration almost caused economic and resultant political meltdown in the oldest and most stable of all political systems and economies in the entire world in under a month and a half. Imagine that. So there's no doubt I'm going to be going into great detail about some of the decisions that Rishi will have to make over the next two plus years. Suffice to say, the current ones look good. Deferring the budget because the markets are now calmer, because someone who looks extremely financially competent and more importantly, fiscally responsible is at the helm, was a strong move and was the right move, in my view. The markets can interpret whatever comes out of the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee meeting next week, which will once again put the base rate of interest up 0.75% is just about still getting my vote. Although in my view, there will be at least three votes for 0.5% only. And it might be a close one. And then have a couple of weeks to stabilise before the budget, which will simply have to be costed either via tax increases or via austerity, or in reality, a bit of both. So... Are we going to see a bunch of leaks about this? We've already seen the press speculating that there's going to be some more tax changes on the upside. Um, well, Rishi may well shore up the ship and do what his immediate predecessors didn't. He might move away from populism. I really hope so. That will be one gauge. He also made one more decision. His first speech contained the words, Britain faces a profound economic crisis. Johnson and Trust just wouldn't have said this. Both fully paid up members of the boosterism school of thought, which is basically never admit anything is bad and turn every negative into a positive, even when we really should be thinking about downsides. It has its fans, but managing expectations to reality might be more sensible. We will see. So what is this profound economic crisis? <clears throat> it really got me thinking. And I thought back to the last Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee meeting and the resultant business briefings that take place around the country. I attend quarterly at one of the local briefings and always have questions to ask. That's a surprise, I know. I've written about this briefly before, but something has been bothering me about it and I've given it a lot more thought over the past few days. So a timeline of a selected timeline of events is helpful here, Will. But um, over the last two months or so. It, exactly. So if we go back, we start on the 6th of September 2022. She, who will now be known only as the Lettuce, was made Prime Minister. Um, the 22nd of September, the Bank of England have a Monetary Policy Committee meeting. The 23rd of September, there's a fiscal event. 
an aberration of a budget, unfunded, ideological, idiotic, disastrous, released by the temporary chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng. Also on the 23rd, after the release of the budget, the international markets and bond markets react aggressively, selling off sterling, selling off government gilts, pushing prices down and yields up. It's a Friday. Over the weekend, 24th, 25th September, KK's budget gets destroyed across every wing of the press, aside from the far writers who think it is right and ignore the evidence. 26th of September, so Monday morning, the sell-off continues of sterling and of government gilts as the pension market starts to come under pressure thanks to leveraged liability-driven investments that 99.99% of the world didn't understand before that date, and I'm sure 99% still don't. Also on the 26th of September 2022, the Bank of England publishes their annual stress test report on what happens to the banks in the event of a high period of stress. And we're gonna talk about that in some detail, Will. 27th of September, the 30-year gilt yield closes at 4.99%. So that means at a really simple level, you could have put 100 grand in the bank and the government would have guaranteed to pay you five grand a year for 30 years. And at the end of the 30 years, they'll give you the 100 grand back. Quite incredible. 28th of September, the Bank of England breakfast briefing that I attend, having read the stress test, uh, as I say, it's a breakfast briefing, so that's pre 9am. Also on the 28th of September, later in the day, the Bank of England intervenes in the longer duration gilt market to stop this sell off and to steady international markets. So the stress test consisted of the following assumptions, and I have to say it. This is a stress test, right? So the doo-doo has already hit the proverbial fan in this scenario that the bank are laying out here. UK GDP down 5%, so about double the contraction in the great financial crisis, as it's known. Housing market prices down 31%, again, double the contraction in the crisis. And unemployment up to 8.5% from a current figure of 3.6. So this is fine for a stress test anyway. Obviously it wouldn't be fine, but it's not a prediction. This is a worst case scenario. Olympus has fallen. Rishi has not delivered us from evil, etc., etc. Now there's one key element missing here, Will. The assumption for this test was that base had made it to 6% in early 2023, and then fallen back to three and a half percent by the end of the test period, so the end of 23. And now this really was the basis of my question. I was concerned. The other assumptions looked like doomsday scenarios, less than 1% chance of them happening, not something to lose sleep about. The base rate at that time, according to the bond yields market, was expected to hit 6% in 2023. You know, that morning when I was at that meeting, that was already the stress rate. That to me looked problematic and nowhere near stressy enough. Hence the question. So what followed was a near bloodbath. I was a chalk outline on the floor. The answer was not really an answer. My framing of the question was simply, 
Do the Monetary Policy Committee believe that the stress rate of 6% is enough, given that that's the market's current forecast? The answer was, sorry, Will, go on. Uh, innocent enough question on the face of it. You know, it's a, it's a difficult journalist's question, isn't it? Because I'm pointing out a fact that seems to be not being pointed out by anybody else. But it's there in, you know, it's not me saying 6%, that the, the markets are predicting 6%, right? So the answer I was given was, the committee is very comfortable that this is a more than sufficient rate for the stress test. And that was it. No more than that. And this is a very unusual response to these sorts of meetings. Normally, it's quite jovial, convivial, chatty, and quite light-hearted, even though the subject matter is heavy. The same humour that characterises doctors, surgeons, or undertakers, if you will. I felt like the proverbial naughty school child. I was desperately hoping someone else in the room was going to pick up the gauntlet, but sadly, they let it go. The answer was enough. My immediate reaction was, he knows something I don't. Well, you would hope so. He works for the Bank of England, and I don't. And then my second order reaction was, oh dear, it's bad. And so he can't say what it is. And, uh, I think it's worth repeating uh, like exactly what was going on that, that morning at the time. F absolute free fall. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we were facing into the abyss, literally. Yeah, genuine crisis. We, we were a laughing stock. Uh, the whole world economically, uh, anyone that didn't like the United Kingdom, that they were cheering our demise. Yeah, any pension pension funds blowing off billions, tens of billions of pounds, trying to stem the tide of these guilts and their, their margin calls and their exposure to this leveraged investment. And, and there's an expression in, um, I'm from New Zealand, but in New Zealand and Australia, she'll be right. Don't worry about it, mate. Like that, That's basically what they, they told you. You can go and F off. Yeah, absolutely. So that very same morning, Will, because obviously timing is everything as per the timeline above, when the meeting finished, which is around 9am, I got back to the car. By the time I got to my desk, the news had broken. The bank was going to intervene in the long-dated gilt market and do whatever it takes to get the price down. Those words again, whatever it takes. Rishi and Boris, ringing through my brain from 2020 and the pandemic response. The bank was also going to do whatever it took in 1992, before the central bank independence, to keep us in the exchange rate mechanism, the ERM until they couldn't, and George Soros and others spotted it and broke the Bank of England. Strategy swiftly changed to being a cheap currency away from defending sterling. It was abject stupidity and arrogance. Now, an independent central bank is much smarter than a government-controlled one, and that all happened back in 1997. Rhetoric and language is very important whatever it takes. I didn't think too much about all this after all, because what was clear to me is that the bank were going to intervene. And also the long dated bond markets, 20 years plus, are really quite small in terms of liquidity compared to the might of the 10 year and the five year and shorter dated gilts. 
in context, there are still many billions, but on a much, much smaller, on a percentage basis, so much easier for the central bank to control. The bank indeed ended up deploying far less capital than even its initial pledge. It did the job. Markets calmed down. I suppose I wrote off the incident in my head because the bank official's attitude was very quickly explained by the announcement of supporting the long-dated yields just an hour or so after the briefing. But then Rishi and his profound economic crisis speech, hell of an opener. You could argue that gamesmanship would mean that he would want to make it out to be worse than it is, because if he then sorts it out, he looks even better. Maybe, but what sort of sell is that to the electorate in 2024? Uh, don't worry, folks. I know it was my own party with me as a minister in control of the Treasury that screwed a lot of it up in the first place. But now I'm in charge, it's all fine. I don't like the political side of things, Will, because I prefer the brutality and the lack of BS in economics, at least when discussed at the more guerrilla level, as I tend to do. But I don't see the point unless he thinks it is happening. So then I cast my mind back to that meeting. What, what if the bank weren't only talking about what the actions were that day? What if instead they were aware of another reason why base rates really couldn't be hiked to 6%? Because it would make so many mortgage borrowers insolvent. Because small businesses would be crushed to a halt. Because, because, because. The problem with the absence of information is that your mind works hard to fill in those gaps. Now, I'm a good reader of people, body language and emotion. I've won a few decent enough sized poker tournaments years ago, I grant you, by being decent at maths and decent enough at reading people. There was, in this situation, as Detective Columbo would have said, one more thing that bothered me. The body language is so cocksure from the bank's official, so utterly convinced. That, when I reflected on it one more time, was the real problem in my mind. If someone is so convinced that they are right, how much are they really trying to understand the what ifs? What if something even worse would happen? What if inflation is 20% and rates are already 5%? What then? What's the choice then? Etc. Etc. When systems become fragile, and we're already there, even if Rishi has steadied the ship, he hasn't yet fixed the leaks or thrown the fat overboard. If something else happens, there's a problem. I wrote about this many times during COVID. The initial response was okay, in the context that there were no other shocks. We had a few smallish ones that battered supply chains, leaving to some inflation, that many wanted to write off as transitory. We must once again revisit that debate so that I can provide some clarity. Because from social media comments I'm getting, I can see that people are still not getting it, nor are they sure on where I'm at. Liverpool or Everton, Protestant or Catholic, Brexit or Remain, left or right wing. Society wants us to choose. And I find the identification of oneself with either binary choice in a strong way fascinating. Many humans are pretty passionate by nature, but also most, by definition, in a normal distribution cluster towards the centre. 
That's why either of two parties has a shout at most elections. If one side or the other goes to the extreme, for example, Comrade Corbyn, it's no surprise because simple mathematics tell you they are going to the thinner end of the curve and thus they only get, say, 30% of the votes. The floating voters all run the other way. I dislike the binary choices, Will. Birmingham City or Aston Villa, that's the relevant one when you live where I do. These days I prefer Solihull Moors. Boring? <laughs> Maybe. I voted Remain in the referendum, but agonised far more than many others I know. I knew, and I know, some sensible, balanced people who voted Brexit, and I was keen to listen to their point of view. I was never comfortable with the political union point and believed the single currency to be doomed to failure relatively quickly, as in within my lifetime. On balance, I knew from my economics training that GDP would suffer and value would be destroyed in the shorter term, in the first decade as a minimum, and was concerned that in itself that would kill people who didn't need to die because recessions kill people. Far more people than terrorists, far more people than global warming. I was also uncomfortable because the main men were Farage, of course, Johnson and Gove. And I didn't believe any of the three should ever be our leader and had a paranoid vision about a triumvirate of evil to rival Hitler, Mussolini and Hirohito. Okay, I appreciate that's a bit much and that's uh, tongue in cheek. Um, but it was a typical political decision. One bad option, one worse option. Why the hell were they asking me anyway? Well, why do I dislike these binary choices? Because life isn't binary. Life viewed on a binary basis is lovely and simple, blissful ignorance. I don't want and have never wanted to live at that level of cognition. Things are complex, and I see them as beautifully complex. Puzzles you can't solve that lead to you writing 2,000 to 7,000 words on a Sunday morning, trying to work it all out. I you mean you haven't figured it all out yet, Adam? <laughs> I genuinely love it, Will, and you know that. So I appreciate that's a bit of a digression. But back to the point, is inflation transitory or is it more secular? Will it be gone quickly or is it here to say, stay entrenched within the system? You know now what I'm going to say. The truth is there's an element of both. And the immediate problem was transitory, but then kicked off some secular effects. An energy crisis? Yep, we're there already, guys. Means that everything took a hike. So where does that take us? Well, companies are clever. So they realise they can raise the price of things, at least for a bit, and make some super normal profits. When they get caught out, and when competition catches up, the game's up. Workers are not stupid. They see an opportunity to earn more. And so wages have risen in the past 12 months, more than they have done for many decades. That isn't headline grabbing because the rate has still been below inflation. So the average worker has still been losing ground. However, I've been concerned that the inflation is more secular than transitory. And even as the transitory effects do start to die away, which has already started, the secular effects have gained more and more pace over the past year. So I feel it's more secular than transitory, 
And I also fear there are more shocks in the pipeline to the upside. So, for example, well, last week's podcast we recorded about China and the zero COVID policy being one of those shocks that we do not control on an individual or a governmental level. So, back to the bank. It boils down to something quite simple, Will. I'm worried that they're wrong, right? This isn't a flight of fantasy where I'm considering my knowledge to be superior to that of the Monetary Policy Committee members. Maybe one or two of them. I'm joking, of course. I don't think this is likely. I don't think we are sure to go up to 5 or 6% base or beyond. But unlike them, I very much do think it is possible. So where does that leave us all then? Concerned? Stressing about the stress tests? Absolutely not. I always say, well, don't worry about what you can't control. Seek to understand, be informed, and dodge the individual landmines that we all have in our portfolios, lives, businesses, and all the rest of it. But it does lead me to really quite a strong conclusion. If you miss the fixed rates, no matter. I wanted to break all of mine until June 2024. That was a decision that I made early this year. But some of them fell through the cracks as lenders pulled products, despite the fact we'd applied. They messed around. They changed underwriting criteria. Not above the line, not openly, not well communicated, but below the line, internally. I've got a few I'd like to be fixing. Happily, over 80% of the ones I wanted to do are done. The rates available to you and I today, Will, are the rates that are available today. I know that's a tautological statement. They are coming downwards again, but not as fast as the market is calming. So here are the truly relevant events left this year that we know about. 3rd of November, 2022, Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee meeting. Likely outcome, 75 basis point rise in the base rates. I wouldn't be stunned to see 0.5. And so I've gone as far as predicting, I think we might get a split vote again. Three votes for 0.5, five for 0.75, one for 1%. 30 days ago, the market expectation at this meeting was 1.25%, with possibly some votes for 1.5. 17th of November, budget. Sensibly, this has been pushed back from Halloween. It feels to me almost like the central bank and the treasury are back on speaking terms again. But expect cuts to services, but perhaps less than you might think. Expect help for the most vulnerable, which Sunak will get zero political capital, but it's the right thing to do. Expect the gap, the funding gap between any measures that are put into place and how much money we've actually got coming in, according to the Office for Budgetary Responsibility, expect that gap to be closed. And then the 15th of December, 2022, just as the property world will be shutting themselves down, jetting off to Dubai, doing all those other wonderful things that they do before flights cost double what they do today when oil prices go through the ceiling next year, Another Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee meeting. Rates up again, most likely. Probably 0.25%, I'd say, right now. 
Now that's it. Other things will happen. Most of the news won't be good. But I mean, when is it? <laughs> but that's all. Eight weeks left before Christmas. So the point as always really will for everyone is what can you do? You know, keep an eye on the rates. Make your broker your best pal. Check the service levels. Check at least once a week. And ideally, every time there is a new product, product teams at the lenders will start to be under pressure very soon, likely in November. Not a lot of people are applying at 6.79%, etc. And these variable products are not all that tempting when base is still expected to go above 4% next year. People prefer to fix in non-risky times. In risky times, floating really should be the loan of last resort. So I'm going to make a prediction, Will. There will be some limited company five-year fixed money available before the end of this year at 75% loan to value, if you've got the rent cover, at 5.75% or below. Now, there might not be loans. You might need to act very quickly. But there will be, in my view, because the current swap rates and bond yield could support it. It might have a high fee attached, three or even 4%, a meaningful chunk of that capital growth you've enjoyed over the last few years. For new purchases, the vendor ends up feeling that pain. It does. They do the way we do our numbers anyway. Our offers just become sharper, and that's what you need to do. So don't overgear. Take out what you've already borrowed on your variable or your loan ending soon. Don't try and raise capital. Don't ask me what soon means because that's your job. It's your portfolio and every answer is bespoke. And of course, I can't give financial advice anyway. Consider paying those early repayment charges. Consider spending some money on decisions in principle and valuations and booking fees to give you the options to fix. It will still take time. But it's no secret in the industry that future business pipelines look utterly anemic at the moment. Some of the lenders will have to accept lower margins or be seeking suitors in the mergers and acquisitions space. So things are at least looking calmer, Will. The volatility is still there. But the downside on, on the downside on yields at the moment, the next step is for that volatility so the amplitude of the waves in the curves and the graphs to shrink. That looks likely with the safe pair of hands on the tiller, although I'm still under enamored with the current governor of the Bank of England. Now, I don't want to get too carried away with waxing lyrical. As I said, benchmarking the new administration, who looked vastly more competent than the previous one, is silly. We still have nearly zero heavyweight politicians in government. Where's Blair or Brown, Clark or Heseltine? Where's Ashdown or Cable? Who are their replacements? The markets have calmed down, but have a long way to climb down. They haven't overreacted yet to Rishi, but the credit rating is still in danger and the bond yields are still elevated. The spread between the bonds and the swaps is still large. And consumer confidence is still on the floor. And let's face it, when Rishi comes out and says Britain is facing a profound economic crisis, that's probably not the time when you're going to go out 
and buy that hot tub you've been saving up for, is it? Let's face it. Now, there's a danger when staying close to the action that you can lose tonality and understanding of what the public are thinking. The dreaded Westminster bubble, as it's known. I vaccinate myself with a regular helping of LBC to listen to what the average but engaged individual is thinking and saying and to try and understand that mindset. And let me tell you, Will, the average individual isn't bloody happy. <laughs> that much is for sure. We've had some luck with weather being a bit better than forecast. December to February is unlikely to see particularly forgiving conditions. The gas has to go on. The 15% saving across Europe in energy is far easier with higher temperatures, but in reality can also only be saved once, I think, like austerity. When you've already cut to the bone, further cuts just cost more money elsewhere. The reality is that the world population is still growing, nearly at 8 billion now, if you took your eye off those counters during COVID or never watched them in the first place. That means more mouths, more energy, more everything, more energy infrastructure worldwide. Meanwhile, Western Europe has not done a fat lot, apart from go back to coal, look at fracking, make noise about nuclear. In nine months nearly since the war started. Pathetic. Serious investment is needed now in our energy security. But look, we need to be calm. But we need to prioritise staying in business, as we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks. The point is to insulate against the next upside risk. There will be one. And when I say one, there will be a few. There's no two ways about it. Fixing rates is insurance. To keep you in the game, up your asset management, be more on top of rent increases, sweat your assets, look at HMO or serviced accommodation, you will need to work harder in the next two and a half years for the same returns you've enjoyed in the past two and a half years, presuming you've had some exposure to the property market. Look at fast cash flow in deals, existing assets with cash flow, rather than complex developments, although at the right price, of course. Great deals have been done since well before the Housing Act 1988. Every day, every week, every month, in every market, even when interest rates are 20% plus. Be ready for the rainstorm and have the hatches battened down. Work on your investor relationships. They will know that opportunity is coming. Your job is to convince them that you are the one for them to work with. Here's your first taste of your 2023 strategy. It's my strategy for free. The secret sauce, Will. Here we go, right? Do deals. Don't niche in too much. Although ensure you have experience and or the right people around you supporting you. Discount, yield, capital growth. How much of what do you want or need for it to stack up? Marginal deals? No, not at this time. Repeat 10 times after me. I will not be a motivated buyer. Good luck and carry on. And if you enjoy the supplement and this resultant podcast, please can we just ask that you comment, like, share and spread the word. Thank you. Uh, and we'll, we'll be getting Mr. Harper on at some stage soon.
that'll be a fantastic podcast to listen to. Well, uh, thanks again, Mr. Lawrence. So uh, once again, uh, if you've listened to this and you'd like to read it, um, go to partners-property.com. Go to the blog. Uh, I believe you can sign up and uh, get it delivered to your email inbox as well. Um, so partners-property.com. Uh, Adam Lawrence, always a pleasure. We'll, we'll see you next time. I'm Will Mallard. This is my property, Will. Thanks, Will. Welcome to My Property World, a light and informative look at all things property. We have designed this series for people involved in property and property finance in the UK market. However, we do take examples from all around the property world. Our aim is for us to make money from property together. Whether that be buying, selling, financing, trading or getting involved in a deal in another way. We do this by informing, entertaining and enjoying ourselves talking property, which gives you a chance to get to know us, what we're up to and to check us out until you're ready to make money together. In the meantime, My Property World is free and fun, so plug in your headphones and enjoy. We would love for you to like, share and comment, so please do on social media. And if you have questions, ideas for topics or deals you would like to explore, we're always looking for guests, so get in touch via the My Property World profile.